Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to invite you to stay with me. Yep, it's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, and it will all be done without any type of manipulation. You know what I'm talking about. We don't sell things. We're not trying to coerce you into doing anything. We're not trying to ask you to join anything. This show is simply about giving you accurate information. Information that will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you would like to orient and adjust to the information, that's up to you. You have the freedom, you have the privacy to make your own decision. That's the wonderful thing about God. He gave you free will, freedom to choose. He did not make you a little automaton. And so you can make your own mind up. The Bible starts off asking one simple, very, very important question. What think you of Christ? That's the most essential question that you'll ever face in your life. What think ye of Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Those are powerful words. The Bible records that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever may believe in him should receive eternal life and not perish. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God? Because 1 John 5, 1 says, He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Becoming a Christian, becoming a born-again child of God, is not joining something. It's not raising your hand and going forward. It's not going backwards. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's not giving up something. It's you making a simple decision. Is this the Son of God, or is it not? Is he who he said he was, or is he not? That's why the Bible says, Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are powerful words, and at some point in your life, you must come to deal with that. It happened to me when I was 22 years old. I never really thought about God. I never contemplated my future with God. I never thought much about anything other than my own life and my own temporary needs and my own happiness of the moment. But on that particular night, on that particular day, I wound up hearing a particular message that told me that God loved me. All of my life I had known that God existed. I just never took time for God. But that night I asked a question. Would God forgive me? And the answer was yes. And that night when I prayed, I prayed a simple prayer. I don't really remember the words, but it was to the extent of I asked God to save me. And I was willing to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it was the night that changed my life forever. I mean, I didn't feel anything. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary happened that I could tell, but in fact, it did happen. That night when I went back to my apartment where I shared an apartment with a friend of mine and I told him what had happened, he was rather doubtful about the whole thing. But uh, as I laid my head down that night, I can remember thinking it was the first night in a long time that there was not a spotlight inside of my head showing me all the goofy things I'd done. And I knew that night that I had peace with God. 
And that peace with God has never gone away. Have I sinned since I became a Christian? Yes, I have. Has God forgiven me for those sins that I've committed since I became a Christian? Yes, he does. And he will do the same for you as well. The difference is between my position in Christ and my experience on this earth. In Christ, I'm a new man. I'm a new creature. I am royal family of God. In time, I'm still related to Adam. I still have Adam's original sin nature within me. It didn't go away because I accepted Christ. Thus, I still have the opportunity to sin when I use my volition to exercise it against God's will. And it's the same thing with you, too. You have a soul that's the invisible, immortal part of you that'll live forever. And inside of your soul, you have volition. And you have mentality. And there is always a war for your mind, always a war for what you think. And Satan seeks to alter what you think, to influence what you think. And your volition must be able to determine what's true and what's false. And you must make good decisions because bad decisions always limit future options. And the absolutely worst decision anyone could ever make is to reject Jesus Christ as God's anointed son. When you do that, there is no way that you can ever have an eternal relationship with God. You, in effect, sentence yourself to the lake of fire, which was created for Satan and the fallen angels, because you rejected God's grace. That's what the Bible says, for by grace are you saved, and through faith, it's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. If you reject the free gift, if you say no, if you, in, in, in your relative way of thinking, determine that God's not real, that he's not really there, that Jesus Christ is not really his son, that they used a different calendar, uh, that different men wrote that book, and you come up with all sorts of excuses to write off the fact that Jesus Christ is the anointed son of God, then you will be held responsible for your decisions. You see, when you're born, your name is written into the Lamb's Book of Life. It is the book that records the name of every person ever born. But when you die without Christ, your name is blotted out and you've died the first death. There are two deaths recorded in the Bible. The Bible says it's appointed in a man once to die and after that the judgment. The second death is found in Revelation 20 where it says whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. Yes, in the lake of fire forever, a place God never intended for you to be, a place that God intended for Satan and the fallen angels to be. Yes, they've been judged and tried and found guilty already. You have been given a free escape, a free way out, if you can understand that and trust that and believe that. Some people say, well, I'm already a good person. No one, no one doubted that. No one doubts it, that you're a good person. But the Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin. And now all have sin and come under death. All of us, the power of death is passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We are born spiritually dead. That's why we have to be, quote, born again. Not physical, but spiritual. 
Nicodemus in John chapter 3 did not understand this, and Jesus said, I'm amazed you are a student of the law and you don't understand this. He had to be born again. That's why Jesus told him, unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And of course, he thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. Becoming a Christian is a spiritual birth. It is you being born again spiritually. You are born alive physically, alive with a soul, but dead spiritually. And when you receive Jesus Christ, you still have your body, you still have your soul, but you are made spiritually alive. And then you go to heaven. This body goes back to the grave, but your soul and your spirit go to heaven. And you will have a resurrection body, a body that is like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, a body that endures eternity and does not, is not affected by time. And you will be in heaven forever. That's why the Bible says, I have not seen and ear have not heard. Neither has it entered into the, man, the mind of man the amazing things that God has for you. It's there and it's waiting for you. But you must make that decision. I hope you'll consider that. I hope you'll understand that. I hope you will come to the place in your life where you will say, yes, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your anointed son. Satan has done everything that he can within his power to minimize the influence of the good news of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. He's done everything that he can to demonize Christians to marginalize the impact that they have in this world. And yet here you are listening to me, having a clear opportunity to hear the truth. That's why Christ said you can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. No one's asking you to join anything. No one's asking you to give up anything. All I'm asking you to do is to consider, is Jesus Christ the Son of God, or is he not? That's the question. What think ye of Christ? Your eternal future depends on that question. I hope you'll seriously consider it. And I hope if you have friends who've never made a decision about that, they've never contemplated that, they've never received Christ as their Savior, that you will pray for them and you will encourage them. And maybe together you can search the scriptures and find the answers you're looking for. Because it is said in the Bible the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow, and is a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I give you this radio show, it's always centered around the Scriptures, always around the Word of God, not around my personality or anyone else's personality, but what the Bible says. Last week, we learned that there are three areas that we have to deal with as Christians. Yes, we still have a sin nature. Yes, we can still commit sin. And those temptations come in three areas. Mental attitude sins, sins of the tongue, and actual overt sins. We went into what those were. And we gave you some principles about it. I said in, in relationship to living the Christian life, it's important to know what is actually a sin and what is not a sin. Because if you can recognize the temptation, you may possibly be able to avoid the sin. And then I said, when you commit a sin, 
You must be able to identify the sin if you want to rebound or recover. So let's say you're driving down the interstate, a rather simple analogy here, and someone makes you mad, cuts you off, flips you off, runs you over, and you lose your temper, and you get all bent out of shape, and you go into road rage, and you start honking the horn, flashing the lights, run up beside them. You're sinning. The Bible says be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Now, when you commit a mental attitude sin, such as anger or hostility, bitterness or implacability, if you don't confess that sin as a Christian, what you do is you move out of fellowship with God and under control of your sinful nature, and no telling where that thing will take you. You let your sin nature control you for a while, and you'll find yourself out in the Thule, spiritually speaking. You'll be under the flesh. You will be what the Bible says, carnal. You'll be what we have identified as in reversionism, not going forward, going backwards. And don't ever get the idea that you've reached some kind of sinless perfection because 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have to learn to identify sin, mental attitude sins, Sins of the tongue like lying, slander, gossip, maligning, criticizing, and even overt or real sins, stealing, murder, fornication, adultery, etc. Then we looked at what was evil. We saw how the genius of Satan perpetuates a system of evil. We saw where the greatest evil in this world is organized religion. It will make you think you're going to heaven because you follow a system of man's energy, because you gave up something, because you quit doing something. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You can't earn it. You can't go to heaven because you quit doing something. And so evil is the genius of Satan. See, Satan is known to be a counterfeiter. And so when God provides salvation freely, Satan counterfeits that, and he says salvation is available free if you give up whatever. Quit eating peanuts and you can go to heaven. Well, listen, you can quit eating peanuts and you're not going to heaven. Uh, Only eat broccoli from now on and you'll go to heaven. That's not true. The only way that you'll go to heaven is the way Jesus Christ said. I am the door. Through me, man enters in. That's the truth. And so evil is perpetuated by the genius of Satan. And then we also took a look at arrogance, and that's where we want to focus tonight. Arrogance, our focus this morning. Arrogance is a lofty self-respect for yourself. It's an unrealistic self-image of who you are. And it's the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick except the person that's got it. That's why Proverbs 23:29 says a person's arrogance will bring him low, but a lifestyle of wisdom will attain honor. Arrogance always follows a pattern. It starts off with self-justification, then it moves, moves to self-deception, and then it becomes self-absorption. Self-justification, you lie to yourself, you justify why you think it's okay. 
self-deception now you've tricked yourself now you've convinced yourself it's okay to do this and self-absorption now you've sold out to it it always leads to self-destruction it always gives you a total unrealistic self-image and unfortunately if you have an unrealistic self-image unfortunately you're going to have unrealistic expectations in other words the Bible says many will say to me in that day Lord Lord did I not do this did I not do that in thy name and in your name I did many wonderful works and Jesus said I will tell them depart from me I never knew you that's the unrealistic expectation of the self-righteous arrogant religious person who thinks he's going to go to heaven because he gave up something or because he adhered to a certain lifestyle that's not how it works now I want to go a little further I want you to understand something that can really destroy you if you're not careful it's being impulsive it's a lack of humility you see humility is the foundation for any life arrogance and humility are the total opposites of each other on one side of the coin is arrogance on the other side of the coin is humility it's heads you win and tails you lose God gives you two ends one to sit with and one to think with heads you win tails you lose arrogance is the tails humility is the heads and so if you're going to have humility for the foundation of your professional life your spiritual life <clears throat> then you must understand this that the two things that are critical for you are for you to number one to be professional because you represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords you must understand his word if you're going to speak about him you must know what it is you're speaking about you cannot mislead people or influence people in the wrong way if you mislead people if you take the Word of God and twist it and mislead people you will suffer the consequences of God's divine discipline and wrath that will come into your life just as Moses experienced it at the second Meribah in Numbers 20 verses 1 through 12 when God simply said speak to the rock and I'll give water but instead Moses struck the rock and Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land here's the most humble man that ever lived the Bible said and he made a critical mistake he misrepresented God at the second Meribah the most critical mistake I can make is to misrepresent God's Word to you and you can do the same thing when you open your mouth and you presume to speak for God you better get it right it doesn't take long to mislead people and Satan will take the twisted truth that you give and off people will go down the my way highway the second thing that's critical is integrity in your own life it's the source of your motivation your strength your honor it comes from the Word of God living and residing in your soul under the power of the Holy Spirit when you're filled with the Spirit and when you're operating under divine viewpoint you have integrity and it's critical let me give you an illustration there's a very famous general named General Doolittle he wrote a book called I could never be so lucky again the 
the contribution of General Doolittle to the Second World War was critical in ending that war. General Doolittle was awarded the Medal of Honor in recognition of his accomplishments when he assembled a team of bomber pilots who launched a successful mission to bomb Tokyo just mere months after the Japanese raided Pearl Harbor. The enemy thought it was impossible that any American could raid the motherland, but Doolittle and his brave men flew 16 B-25 bombers off the deck of the U.S. carrier Hornet, and they dropped their bombs on Tokyo on 10 a.m. April the 18th, 1942, before they sped off to China, where most of them were eventually rescued. On the 5th of August, 1942, after this raid, General Doolittle and General Patton met with General Dwight Eisenhower to discuss the invasion of North Africa and what is known in history as Operation Torch. During that meeting, General Eisenhower had the choice to decide who would head up the air unit assigned to this joint British-American task force. General George Patton would be the ground commander, and Ike needed to approve Doolittle as the air commander. Now, I'm about to read something to you. Listen carefully. I'm about to read to you General Doolittle's words, so listen up and you'll understand what I'm about to tell you. Here's what General Doolittle said. From the first moment, I sensed that I had taken an immediate dislike to me. Once again, I had the uncomfortable feeling of being an illegitimate offspring at a family reunion. I knew of my reputation as a racing pilot through the press, and he probably translated that to mean that I'd be too reckless to command an Air Force. <clears throat> he knew, <clears throat> excuse me, he knew from my military record that I had never commanded a unit larger than the Tokyo Raid Gang. And he probably also knew that General Douglas Arthur had turned me down. With a minimum amount of formality, we sat down and immediately began discussing Operation Torch. General Patton led off with a briefing on his intention and his plans to drive, quote, the bastards into the sea. And Ike seemed satisfied with that, so he turned to me. And he said, our first job will be to acquire airfields in North Africa. As soon as they are acquired, we got to be able to operate. And he was right, of course, but however, instead of saying, yes, sir, that's exactly what we will do, I very stupidly said, General Eisenhower, the fields will be of no value to us until the ground forces have cleared and occupied the air bases and have brought in fuel supplies, ammunition, bombs, food, and spare parts. Then we will be able to operate. And I saw his face change, and I knew I blew it. It was a dumb thing to tell a general with as much logistical experience in military service as Eisenhower. So here I was, General Doolittle said, a one-star reserve officer, implying that a two-star general who spent his entire adult life in the service didn't know what he's talking about. I realized I'd made a horrible mistake, but it was too late to recover from it. The face of Eisenhower froze. I fumbled for words, and I never got to tell him much about our plans for the 12th Air Group. General Doolittle did go on to lead the 12th Air Group in the battle for North Africa, and General Eisenhower did promote him to Major General. But I bring this illustration up to demonstrate a tremendous principle, and it took me a long time to learn this. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. 
You know, sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and look like a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Keep in mind that your enemy, that is the devil, is always seeking opportunities to impugn the name of our God. So when we fail to have a perception of the situation or any cognition of what's going on around us, then we give the advantage to Satan who will use our lack of discernment to cause confusion and controversy. So let's start with a passage in Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 9, here's what Paul says. And this I pray for you, that your love may excel and be abundant in knowledge and perception. Two things, knowledge and perception. The Greek word epinosis means full knowledge, not just awareness, but something you believed in and applied. And perception, an interesting word called eistasis, and it's a word for perspicacity, acumen. It's the word to understand, to know, to grasp. And then he went on to say the reason being, this is why he wanted them to have full knowledge and perception, so that you could recognize the things that are of divine value in order that you may be free from the entrapment of the world and not stumble around in your Christian experience until the day Jesus Christ returns. The word I want you to focus on is that eistasis word, acumen, perspicacity. It means cognition or discernment. It means being aware. Listen, some of the biggest jams I've ever gotten myself into were not caused by me committing a sin, but by me making a snap decision without realizing what I was doing. I meant it to be well, I didn't sin when I did it, but I allowed the enemy to gain an advantage by being impulsive. This is equivalent to running ahead of God. It's equivalent to exposing myself to an attack. And therefore, we cannot afford to be impulsive believers. This is John 18.10. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said unto Peter, Put up your sword. Put it back into the sheaf. The cup which my father gave me, shall I not drink of it? Were the disciples armed? <laughs> well, it appears they were. Peter had a sword. Was Peter aiming to cut off the man's ear? I don't think so. I think he probably was aiming for the neck, but the guy dodged, and he only clipped the ear. Did the Lord actually command these disciples to arm themselves? Well, in Luke 22, 35 through 38, read it for yourself and see what you think. Luke 22, 35 through 38. So was Peter's act an impulsive decision? Yep. Could it have been a disastrous decision? Yep. And so, Proverbs 29, 11, a fool expresses all of his emotions, but a wise person controls them meaning you must think before you act. You must be very careful when you attempt to give advice or inform someone else about the will of God for their life because Satan will set you up and you will fall into the trap. I hope you're listening. I hope you're paying attention. It's critical that you do. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. 
you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.